what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson. With me, Chris Fry. We are the directors and founders of the Foot Candle Film Society and the directors of the Foot Candle Film Festival. Yes. We just finished a few weeks ago. We are we have a little bit of a hiatus, Chris, of where we don't <laughs> talk about the festival for at least the next what three months, maybe. Sure. And then we'll start talking about next year's after that. So we're in a little bit of that break period. So everybody gets a everybody gets a chance to breathe <laughs> after the festival, and we get back to the to the habit of just watching new movies and not having to worry about putting them on in any kind of event. Um, right. You doing okay, Chris? Uh, yeah, having a little bit of a, you know, thank you allergies. We are in fall now, so I've got a little bit of the fall I allergy. That. So yeah, I my voice that. is a little deeper than normal, but yeah, uh, doing, doing good. A little deeper, a little richer voice, but it just <laughs> adds to the experience here yes. on the uh, audio podcast side of things. So Chris, here at Foot Candle Films, we talk movies, we review films. We've got a little bit of a, a different review take on this episode, a little different in that uh, we're actually going to be review, reviewing Four films. So it's um, Paw Patrol, the Mighty Movie, yep. and the new Taylor Swift Eras yep. tour that's coming out. And what what two other ones? We're, we're actually going to review Taylor Swift three different times because oh. we were going to watch it three times in a row. Okay, and, and see uh, if our takes vary, yeah. and then do Paw Patrol to finish up. Okay, Paw Patrol so will be the nice icing on the cake at the end of the evening. Yes. Excellent. Um, <laughs> no, we're, look, no offense to the Taylor Swift film. I yeah. actually think it's going to yeah. be kind of. I actually kind of curious to see it myself so I, and it's uh, over two hours is that right yeah, i think it's like almost the length of the concert wow i think it is the whole concert in a concert hmm. film okay. all right but we we digress <laughs> uh actually what the four films we're going to be talking about chris are four short films uh kind of an interesting project that was released on netflix uh from a mr wes anderson a director that you and i have spoken about many many times and reviewed many of his films over the years but he has put out four short films directly to netflix that are all adaptations of uh, Roald Dahl's short stories. So we're going to review all four of them. Uh, they'll be short reviews because they are short films, short stories. Sure. But we are going to review all four of those and talk about them as kind of a individually and as a piece of work by Mr. Anderson. After we go through that review of those four Netflix short films by Wes Anderson, Chris and I are going to come back and we have at the end of the show some recommendations of films that we think are worth checking out. It sounds like it's going to be a little bit of a Halloween recommendation episode based on what I've heard you say and what I know I'm going to be recommending. sounds like we're trying to gear people up for the Halloween season with a few, maybe a little scarier films to, sure. to recommend this month. All right. So we're going to get to that in a little bit. But first up, let's talk about our reviews of these four films. Again, Wes Anderson, writing, readapting these short stories into a film format and directing all four of these pieces. Uh, this is the collective work. Uh, let's start with the first one. Let's talk about the wonderful story of Henry Sugar. Uh. 
Good evening, Mr. Sugar, said the man behind the desk whose job it was to never forget a face. Henry Sugar was 41 years old, unmarried and rich. Strange. The following is what Henry read in the Little Blue Exercise book. Gentlemen, I'm a man who can see without using his eyes. He saw it, I cried. He saw that trolley. This is absolutely unbelievable. I was flabbergasted. Henry Sugar is the longest of the four stories. This one clocks in at 40 minutes. And it tells the story of a rich man who goes by the alias of Henry Sugar. Sugar learns about a guru who can see without using his eyes and then sets out to master this skill in order to cheat at gambling. Um, Alan, what was, how do you feel about the story of Henry Sugar and did you find it wonderful? I did. I did find it wonderful. I think wonderful is a good, good, good phrase for it. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I almost wonder if this 30 minute format and Wes Anderson getting to go with all of his visual flourishes and all of the creativity he wants to throw at the screen and putting it into a 30 minute format might be the magic formula for Wes Anderson. Not to say that I, I, I mean, I definitely like his feature films. And of course we, even his last one, asteroid city, I'm a big fan of, but I think some people could argue that maybe it just feels a little longish at times and it just kind of, uh, spins its wheels at times and, and spends more time in the, the visual flourishes than it does actually advancing any kind of story here with, with, with the wonderful story of Henry sugar, we have, I feel like a wonderful story told in just the right amount of time and with just enough of that, uh, the visual creativity that Wes Anderson adds to the mix using a building of sets and decomposing of sets, uh, costuming multiple people playing multiple parts at times. I mean, just mm-hmm. a very Wes Anderson experience added to a, a story that fits his style. So right. it just, this worked really, really well for me. I enjoyed this quite a bit. Benedict Cumberbatch kind of playing one of the lead roles, although you could argue that Ray Fiennes as, quote, the narrator, as Roe Dahl himself, in a way, spends just as much time on screen, too. But, again, it, it's not about the lead. It's not about who's got the most screen time. I mean, it's, it's a true ensemble. I think there's, what, five or six actors that kind of are going to be making up these four films we're going to be talking about. And I think all of them are featured in here. Well, no, except for um, Rupert, 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 Rupert Friend is not in. He's this not one. in this one. Yeah. Well, not that I noticed. <laughs> <laughs> right. He very well could right. be some other way. But I, I thought the story was fun. It was a nestled story within a story, which is a very Wes Anderson thing to do. You have a narrator explaining the story. And then he's telling the story of Henry Sugar, who finds a book that we then dig into and find out the way that that book was written. And it's just a... Uh, I, I thought it was great. I think this is, this is, I'd be perfectly happy if Wes Anderson just wanted to make 30, 40 minute movies like this for the rest of his life. I think I'd be happy. Chris, what are your thoughts on the wonderful story of Henry Sugar? Well, it's in, before I delve too much in the specifics of this story, I'm curious to hear you say that you kind of prefer Wes Anderson in this mode, seeing as how he really, but he released a feature, The French Dispatch, which you were not high on. Right. And I think which I had why. little which had little segments. So mm-hmm. it was like that with the exception of obviously it was released in a film. So he put them all together yes. and strung them together. So you're saying you don't mind him doing separate stories, but you want them to be 
not attached to one another. I think that was the change of it is that okay. I thought about that too. French dispatch was probably my least favorite film of some I time of his. I was going to guess that. And, um, and it was one of my favorites and I, and I get it. And I, 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 I could see it's a little, a little bit sound like I'm being a little contradictory by saying, you know, give me a 20, 30 minute Wes Anderson short film. And I love it. I think the fact that this truly is a standalone, it is a singular piece and French dispatch you could argue those are singular pieces, but I think there was still a desire to make them all work together into one big piece. And oh, I think yeah. watching them in the order and not having the chance to break right. and see the end of a story, I think was exhausting. Gotcha. This was not. So I think that's the difference for me um, okay. with that. I think, I think Wes Anderson can throw everything he wants to at the screen. And in some parts of this particular piece, he does. And I'm going to absorb it and take it because I feel like, you know, it, it serves the story. The story is what it is. It fits within this time constraint and it works. So, yeah. Yeah. But your thoughts. Yeah. I, I was, um, this was Benedict Cumberbatch's first foray into the world of Wes Anderson. And I felt like he just slid, <laughs> slid right in and just took off running and was amazing. And something that um, I'd have to go back and look at all of Wes Anderson's films, which I don't have time to do, but, um, yes, there's been narration, but as far as like narration direct to the camera, I think that was, is kind of a first for this series of shorts or definitely the amount. If it's not a first, it's definitely the amount because Cumberbatch, you know, actually roll doll starts, you know, fine starts a little bit, you know, he, he talks a little bit and direct addresses, but then when they get into the actual characters moving around, they still do. Yeah. And it has a very theatrical feeling where it's like they give stage directions. Like I exit to the left and then I do this. And then he said, and she said like they give all the things that are extra outside of dialogue. They speak them aloud. And I thought that was very interesting, mm-hmm. but man, it's like Cumberbatch is like, he was, he was born to do it. He and like the, really and the, good. The, the deadpan style too. Like yeah. you just feel like he was either channeling Wes Anderson without any direction. He just kind of knew like, Oh yeah, I know what I'm doing here and just took off running. Yeah. Um, or maybe Wes was like, okay, this is exactly how I want you to do it. You know, you figure some of his things are so mannered that maybe that was the case. But it came across as very comfortable for oh, him. Yeah. So absolutely. And it, you know, I guess bringing in a little outside experience, you know, I really like Cumberbatch in um, Sherlock, that BBC series. And his character in Henry Sugar kind of reminded me of that a little bit, yeah. kind of a little privileged, kind of removed from everybody else. And a stilted way of talking too, and seeming like I'm more intelligent than anybody in the room, and that yeah, and that I think that helped kind of color the performance as well. And it also reminded me, oddly enough, of another Benedict Cumberbatch character, Doctor Strange, mm-hmm. um, because that guy was you know privileged surgeon, and then he has something happen to him, and it kind of changes the course of his life. That's and this true. was kind yeah, of a similar way. So, but you know. This was obviously written way before <laughs> Doctor Strange and all that kind of stuff, mm. but it's just it was interesting. So I, I, I don't know if Wes Anderson had all of that in mind when he cast Cumberbatch, but he just felt to me like the perfect the perfect yeah. dude to do this story. Yeah. Um, I'll touch on some of the other. You mentioned that there were like a cast of maybe four or five overall actors that I are kind of in six, every film. Six, I think it's six actors that basically made up all the, the main performances and all four of the films we're going to talk about. So Ray Fiennes, we've already mentioned him. He kind of you know plays doll. Who's a narrator of sorts. Then we have Dev Patel, Ben Kingsley. And in this one, we have Richard, I don't Ayode. Is that how you say his last name? Sure. Um, okay. Um, see, so we don't have Rupert friend in this one, but we do have those other fellows. And, like you mentioned, they also play multiple roles. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that just, that helped bring some 
comedy to it too, because you can tell, okay, it's not Henry sugar anymore. It's this guy who was developing costumes for him or something, but it's clearly, they don't, they don't try to hide anything. It's very, it's kind of like a stage performance where there's an actor playing multiple roles and it adds to the fun of the piece that you can tell like, okay, this is, this is the same person. And it's like, he knows that and he's enjoying that. You feel like you're watching community theater yeah. um, in a way it's like a really cast, good community theater well, good cast yeah. sure small cast yeah weaving in and out and even stagehands and other people play parts in these films where you see them giving props or giving or taking things away from the actors just like you would on a stage performance it very much is a it, it's a great blend of a excellently narrated story where you could still enjoy this even if your eyes were closed yeah, it could be like an audio book. It that's, is a little bit true. of that. I actually I was thinking about, about that. that as we got later into the films. I'm like, okay. this is great. You could actually still listen to this and still get almost everything out of it. Hmm. Um, but then you add to it the the theater type performance, stage performance. And then you layer on top of that Wes Anderson's just visual creativity, which really, really was excellent in this particular film. Um, he really had fun with the sets and the set building and um, some of the... Uh, just visual flourishes he adds were really excellent here. So, uh, not, I thought this was great. I mean, if I've got to give one complaint, okay. I don't know if Dev Patel's quite operating on the same Wes Anderson level that the rest are. I, I, I didn't feel it. Okay. I felt he was, I felt that he was more playing the part of a Wes Anderson character as opposed to actually being one. Hmm. It felt a little forced, felt a little, I don't know, exasperated. I, 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 I don't feel like it fit quite as well for me. It was a little more, he was a little more uh, exhausting to deal with on the screen than the others. I don't feel like he fit that glove quite as well. As are you, are you mentioning specifically in the first short of Henry Schoen? Well, and even in another short we'll okay. get to. Okay. I, I feel like he's... I, I, and again, I hate being critical of it, but you know, we are critics. We have to kind of say what doesn't work for us. And I, I don't think his performance in either of the two films that he was really prominent in quite worked for me. I so, disagree. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> um, and we'll, we'll get to, yeah, some of that yeah, yeah. later, but um, I thought everybody else is solid. I okay. thought Ben Kingsley was great in this. Mm. Um, which having I, just seen him, you and I watched for the, Film Society. Yeah, we, he was in a film called Jules that we didn't review here on the show, but that was kind of neat to see him because I hadn't really seen him in mm-hmm. a while. Yeah, and then to have him pop back up in these, it was like, you know, Ben Kingsley, you're a good actor. Yeah, he's you know, very <laughs> it was kind of yeah, it was great. nice. No, no, everything everything was was great. Again, I liked the story within the story element that played out here. It never got too complex or too overly complicated for me to where I felt like it was going to just lose itself in the story. Uh, just when I thought it was starting to get a little too deep down into a story within a story, it pulled right back out, kind of reset and let you know where you were in the story. And, and just, and it ended nicely. Yeah. I, I, I think it had a really good ending. So overall agree. it was a perfect piece. I mean, it's like 30 minutes of wonderfulness <laughs> from <laughs> the wonderful story of Henry sugar. So yes, big fan. Did like this quite a bit. Last last question before we move on to the next one. Um, I'm curious, did the music or score in this one remind you of anything else that Wes Anderson had done? 
I didn't. I honestly didn't pay much attention I to don't, the score. I don't know what to call it because I'm not versed in like a lot of musical terms. But the music that it reminded me of the most, and I don't really recall the music from the other three shorts, but with this one specifically, it kept reminding me of the Grand Budapest Hotel. Mm. And it's like this kind of like, it's not yodeling music, but it's like you have this like, I don't, I don't know. It just, the music reminded me of Grand Budapest Hotel. Now, could it have been because the number of sets they kept moving between and instead of like, you know, Grand Budapest had the different kind of sets that it did. Mm. And so maybe that's what reference, but I just thought the, the music was interesting and kind of stood out in this one, um, which didn't in the other three. So I thought that was interesting, but yeah. Okay. Well, that is the first of four. So yes. again, as we're saying, Netflix released all four at the same time. They are four separate films on Netflix. So it's not like right. you play one. It, it just automatically plays the other three. You've got to go hit you the other three. You might have them. trouble finding them, yeah. which I did. <laughs> and this was also the longest one, the one yes. with the, the Henry Sugar story. So right. let's move on because we've got three others to cover. They sure. were all three shorter, mm-hmm. but still uh, very about much. Half as long. Half yeah. as long, but they were also all adaptations of short stories by uh, Roe Dahl as well. So let's get into the second one they release. It's called The Swan. Uh, this is a story about a small, brilliant boy that's being tormented by two larger, idiotic bullies. And that was IMDb's description <laughs> of the bullies. I did not add in the idiotic that was there on their description. Gotcha. But uh, this film is interesting. It's it's basically Rupert Friend mm-hmm. uh, as the narrator who still yes. does that whole style of saying stage directions. and Yeah, know. still kind of explaining what's happening. This, to me, was the most... I mean, it was the most narration-driven one. Where, yes, there is visually, there's some acting out of what's happening. But I'd say 75% of the time, you're really just watching Rupert Friend on screen narrate the story. Right. And as, you know, kind of, I mean, we can't help but reference other shorts. And I'll reference Henry Sugar, because that one came before this one. Predominantly being narrated by Cumberbatch, but other people talk at times yeah, and, and there speak. Were a lot more sets and a lot yes. more scenes and a lot more all that. This was a much more stripped down. And I'm, I'm yes. not sure if yeah, if anybody else spoke. Uh, the young, Rupert the Friend. young boy, the There's little a boy young did. boy that okay. kind of represents the the young boy in the story does right. speak a couple of times. Okay, but, but not a, but not a lot. No, no. Yeah. There's no like lines of dialogue. Right. Uh it's maybe sounds or exclamations coming from them. No, this is is Rupert Friend narrating this story. Um and, you know, visual wise, I mean it all takes place in just a couple of simple settings. There's a great visual uh motif of him walking through this long like what a is, wheat field. Yeah, like a thing. wheat field, a, a cut, a path cut in a wheat yeah. field where most of the story takes place. But um, I will tell you this, Chris, I will have Rupert Friend narrate anything for me going forward. Actually, I want to see if I can cut up a service where if I have new stories I want to listen to in the morning, I want him to read them out to me like mm. as a podcast. I, I enjoyed his narration quite a bit in this film. Um He's also someone we have not seen do a Wes Anderson uh, before. So it was the first time on that. I, I think he nailed it personally. I thought he was great. Um, the, the film itself, I didn't feel like there's a whole lot more to talk about it other than the, it's really, it's the story and it's the narration. I mean, that's really what this piece is. There wasn't a whole lot more beyond that. Um, I still appreciated it, but I'm also glad it was kind of the length it was. I didn't feel like it needed any more to it. So what's your thought on this one? So it's interesting. I 
I, with all of these shorts, because they are so short, and um, I watched them all when they came out. And then when I knew we were going to review them today, I, I rewatched them on purpose. So I've seen all of them twice. The Swan, I think because I caught it right after Henry Sugar. And I guess I'm more of a Cumberbatch narration person than mm-hmm. I am a Rupert Friend um, okay. narration person. Not that it was bad, but it was just different. And maybe I felt like... I don't know, something about his cadence made it kind of hard for me to keep up with him. Hmm. And I think also, because I'm a, a trained animal, I think everything is going to be like what I just watched. So I'm like, okay, here's another Wes Anderson short, and they're doing the direct narration. Okay, got it. And I thought that eventually it would be handed off or other people would talk. And when it didn't happen, I was like, wait, okay, so what's happening here? And mm-hmm. he did, um, he would imitate voices of other characters, yeah. which was fun, but it was also kind of jarring because I'm like, and drop names. I'm like, okay, now who is that? And who is saying what? Because it was just a different way of doing it. Now, when I watched it the second time, it flowed. Of course, I knew how everything was going to play out, but it just seemed to flow a lot better for me and I could appreciate it. And I think, you know, it's not, it's not Rupert friend. It's me, you know, just, I think it just kind of took me, I was like not expecting it, I guess. Um, and it was also interesting too. The first one you, talked about with sugar, there were a lot of dense sets Mm -hmm. and very, um, I don't know, just very imaginative and really well. And this was a lot stripped, very much stripped down. And so it kind of, it was shorter. You mentioned it was shorter. I mean, we're going to see that stripped down, honestly, for the next three. I mean, it really is like they put all of the production elements (laughs) into that Henry sugar one, which was a longer one, a little bit more elaborate piece. And then these other three, are very stripped down. Probably the most stripped down I think I've seen Wes Anderson since, gosh, Rushmore and even before that, maybe with Bottle Rocket. I mean, just letting it, letting the story serve the story and not feeling like it has to be added with all of these visual elements to an overdone creativity. Now, there's creativity in all for all of these oh, shorts, sure. but it's definitely a stripped down version that I don't think I've seen from Wes Anderson in many, many years. And I liked, I liked it quite a bit. I mean, this the swan is a good example for me of letting the story be the story. And it's just a matter of how do we tell the story? It's not really how we embellish the story. It's not how we elevate the story. It's let's just tell the story and let's have a nice presentation of a story. And I thought this was a nice presentation of that story. Um, We mentioned the stage hands that were used. They're mm -hmm. used throughout these different shorts. Um, but in this short, I feel like they're used the most. Yeah. And actually, I think if they had been dialed down, it would have dialed down my appreciation of the short because it is so stripped down and so sparse that they provide a lot of the comedy. They I think do. the stagehands kind of running in and out. And they're in the other films, but this one I feel like is 80% stagehand because there's not a lot else going on. Yeah. And that I really... You really have Rupert really like Friend that. and you have a young boy that... Is he's talking about in the story that's kind right. of just following along with them, but uh, that's really the action you've got. So you're right, the stagehands coming in and handing props or 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 ta- uh, taking other directions. Or in, I think the funniest bit is the uh, pal, you know, <laughs> <laughs> right. like them shooting the gun sound. Uh, that's which is that all, did add which to the is, comedy here again. Kind of an interesting take. What in all the films? Um, this one I'll, we'll get to. You know. The next one, Ratcatcher, I'll talk about something in that one. But um, 
what elements are physical in their hands and mm. what elements are mimed. And for instance, yeah. that gun that you mentioned, they talk, there's a gun being shot at one point and it's just a guy mimicking that he has a gun in his hand and then makes the pow <laughs> sound. Right. Um, so yeah, just really, I mean, you can tell Wes Aaron puts a lot of thought into everything he does. Um, but just the amount of thought that he put in this, okay, what is going to be a physical prop? What is not? What am I going to choose? Cause this one did a little bit of it. We had a little bit of a Henry sugar where Cumberbatch was driving and we did kind of not stop motion, but obvious green screen of him oh, driving in a car and projected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Projected rear mm-hmm. projection. You yeah. could tell that that was going to go with this one. There's some images of a boy way up in a tree and it's like they, he doesn't bother to try to make it realistic it's oh, like yeah, no this clear. is this it's, is clear it's animated or claymation or something that's up there so right yeah. which he did a little bit in grand budapest hotel and of course he made you know isle of dogs and um fantastic mr fox so it's like the choices he would make to switch styles are just very interesting yeah, um i'm one curious um and like you said this is shorter so not as much to dive into i guess um the ending of this one struck me a little bit as abrupt maybe. Mm -hmm. And I think it was because I was expecting, I don't know, something a little bit more whimsical or for the Mm -hmm. tone to end on a lighter note and no dice. Yeah. Um, Yeah, So I wonder what you're interpreting without spoiling anything for people who haven't seen these. Well, again, these being short films, I get the impression it's, it's, it's short stories. Even, even the script that we see at the end of each film kind of gives you like a one sentence little background of the film. And I think a couple of them even said like they were based on maybe unfinished works. Well, or there was some still, you know, it was like something they just found like in a, in a journal of his or something written that way. So it makes me wonder if like some of these are kind of a little intentionally abrupt and they're just, you know, this is the story. This is the way he ended right. it. And that's there, the way there it is. Show it. That's it. And uh, do you, I hope mm-hmm. you spoke. Okay. <laughs> there again, that they also did. I think at the end of each one of these, they mm-hmm. kind of put these little handwriting. They did. I really hope that's Wes Anderson's handwriting. Now, something to take away as a negative, kind of hard to read. I don't know what handwriting grade the it person would have gotten, but I really, I really hope that is his hand because it was very, yeah, it was really interesting and like you know, it's like okay, here's my director's note, and I yeah. really hope it was his handwriting, kind of scribbling down yeah. the the comments. We're talking about the end of each film, kind of a, a slate comes up of a script, handwritten script. It looks just is like a little line of history of that short that 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 story that they just adapted and right. any background information which i thought was really nice it was good good little touch to it yeah um so that's this one that one was the one that was released second so i mean if you're watching them in the order of quote release schedule that would be it uh the third film uh called the rat catcher and this is one again we're still utilizing the same core actors that we saw in the henry sugar short uh, this one, oh, and also in the Swan. This one we have Rupert Friend is in it. We also have uh, Richard Iota is acting as more of more of the narrator. He's for more this the narrator one. in this yep. one, yeah. And then we also have Ray Fiennes as the Rat Man. And uh, <laughs> so, Chris, I'll go ahead and tell you with this one just to kind of jump right to it. It's probably my least favorite of the four. I'll go ahead and say, even though I think it has one of the best performances in it, which is Ray Fiennes as the Rat Man. Yeah, I think when we finish doing these four, we need to yeah. we need to rate rate them. We need to rate them. Okay, I'll say that this is probably my least favorite because I I appreciate that it was super stripped down. Yeah, I mean, it really is for the most part between one and three people on screen talking. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, other than a 
stop motion animated rat that we get at one point. Mm -hmm. Otherwise it is the least visually interesting film that I think he's ever made, but so, it hinges okay. on a performance. So you're saying it's less interesting than this one. Um, I'm not saying less, I, I mean, definitely less visually interesting. Okay. I mean, the swan was already pretty stripped down. This sure. one goes even further stripped down. It does. Yeah. yeah. So okay. visually interesting least. Okay. I liked the story and I really like Ray Fine's performance, mm -hmm. but I felt like there was some things missing in the storytelling elements. You mentioned in the, in the swan, the intentional choice of what's going to be a real prop or item and what's not, what's right. going to be pantomimed or imagined. Imagined. Right. And so the I, I imagine mean, things in this one didn't work for you as well. Not as well, not as well as they did in the swan. Hmm. So, which was a little disappointing because there is a particular moment where they're setting up a very, <laughs> a very physical visual thing. And look, I didn't need to see it. Okay. But I felt like there was like, boy, there was just, but then why spend time showing me this, this, uh, uh, animated rat. Right that I didn't feel like it was necessary at all. I'm like, I felt like they could have done away with anything visually and just kept it all. Anyway, the balance mm. didn't work for me as well. Mm. I did like the story and I did like, I really like Ray Fine's performance. I'll leave it at that. But otherwise the, the short left me a little wanting, um, out of the whole mix. So yeah, that's just my thing. What, what what's your thoughts on the rat catcher? So, and, and by the way, the plot of this is, I didn't even mention that. I just went right into my review. Sure. In an English village, a reporter played by Aota and a mechanic played by Rupert friend, listen to a rat catcher who is Ray Fiennes explain how he's going to outwit his prey because supposedly there are there's rats. A, there's an infestation. There's a rat rats. problem. Yeah. And he is, he knows the rats and he is going to explain how he's going to catch and outwit these, these rats. So that's the story. Yeah. So Chris, what are your thoughts on this one? So we'll get to the ranking of, you know, mm. of the four later after we finish the last short. But, um, yeah, this one was, I felt like there wasn't a whole lot to it. Mm. Um, I mean, it's called the rat catcher. So you kind of know what it's going to be focusing on a guy who catches rats. And, um, but what made it worth watching, as you already mentioned, was Ray Fiennes playing the character because he was like, he was playing an outsized character from a Harry Potter movie. That's what it felt like. He felt yeah. like he stepped out of a Harry Potter movie and came right into this and just had a blast with his motions, with the way he would sometimes address the camera and just how he looked, the makeup and everything they did to him. And, you know, the other actors just stone faced and, you know, delivering, delivering lines. It was just, that's what made it worthwhile. Um, I and it just, I don't know. It, it was an interesting little tidbit, but then not much more than yeah. that. I will say, however, we talked about with sugar, how some of the references or some Benedict Cumberbatch kind of made me think about other roles of his. Um, okay. So fine's performance made me think about something in a Harry Potter movie, which he was in those, but not as a rat guy. Um, this one <laughs> kind of towards the end, the rat catcher makes some interesting comments on candy making. Mm -hmm. And that kind of made me think, okay, Roald Dahl, that's, you know, the whole Charlie and the chocolate factory stuff. So uh, Willy Wonka. So I was like, huh, that's interesting that he's yeah. kind of, <laughs> again, taking kind of a dig at the candy industry and maybe some, somehow it can have a darker side. So sure. I, I found that, I found that, that interesting. was, that was very fun. It's interesting call, call out. So. Um, yeah. And there's a, and there's a moment in this short where that I really liked and I wish they had expanded on. Okay. Where there is a acting out of two animals 
And now you're not talking about the pantomime stuff here that no, happens with some. No, I'm talking the actual okay. acting of two of the characters yes. in the film, and the lighting changes and mm-hmm. it's very like canted angles and it's like very meant to look a little bit like a intense horror movie in a yeah, way with these absolutely. two. Absolutely, and I'm like that. I loved. It's okay, like I, I I guess that's what made me think. Okay, well then why spend time with this animated rat when you could have pulled off this whole short in well, this acted style and using the characters that you've got to play. have a defense. Like, that would have been really I cool. I have a defense yeah. for that. Okay. Um, so the animated rat I think is done simply because a Wes Anderson likes doing stop motion stuff. Seems to like but that. other than that also because um, the rat talks, but it's actually, it's, the rat catcher is saying things yeah. and the rat is saying it. Yeah. And there's commentary there on whether <laughs> this person really thinks he is a rat himself and that's right. how he can get in the right. So I think that that was the reason to have a stop motion rat yeah. and have it talk that I, that's my explanation. I, I hear for you that. and I agree. I'm sure that was what the reasoning was. I think they could have pulled it off using that same style of let's let these three characters play these creatures. And because you get this, Maybe. I mean, I already got the sense that the rat catcher, they were already making him very rat-like to begin with. Oh, sure. And they the say TV the way he eyes, walks and stuff. I mean, yeah. they already were leaning into that already heavy. So um, it just, and then I I'll felt s- like it's like, if you're going to go strip down and just really keep it down to like three character actor, three actors playing characters and let them act out these scenes. I mean, let's go all tilt for it. Let's do the whole 12 minutes or whatever this film is or 15 minutes and let's do it. Um, anyway, that was the one thing that left me a little wanting with that as I felt like it was a little uneven and, uh, I kind of wish they had just burrowed into like that one style for the story. But, mm. but I also agree it was the least affecting story for me. Although the performance with Ray Fiennes was, is the reason to watch this. Well, and I think again, you were saying you preferred the actors pretending to be one <laughs> pretending to be a rat and the other one being the rat catcher. And he's just being himself at that point. Um, so I explained why I thought they did the stop motion rat. And I think why they go this route and some of the pantomiming they do earlier in the film, it's all about animal rights and try not sure. to be. Oh yeah. And keeping this, I mean, I don't know what this is rated cause it comes out on Netflix. Um, it's considered PG. Okay. If they had used real rats for the oh, latter no. part you're talking about, well, I didn't, like, I didn't want to see anything. <laughs> no, that's the thing. I was happy not seeing any sure. real animals. I love the fact that the rat man, has two was, rats in his pocket. Was the personification of the rat. And right. if he reaches in his pocket and holds out an empty hand and said, here's a rat. I'm like, cool. Got it. Okay. <laughs> right. So then it's like, well, then don't show me a, then don't pull out an animated rat and do that over here. It just, I was totally cool with just imagining a rat in your hand. And I I'm see. totally cool when he and Rupert friend kind of become adversaries in a little acted out part right. of this, this conflict between the rat men and the rat. I'm like, I'm cool with that is what I want to see. That is great. So I will say a little part of me, the first time, because like I mentioned, I watched both of these or all these films twice. There's an instance where the rat catcher lets a ferret and a rat basically chase each other inside his shirt. The first time I watched it, I was like, oh, that was kind of a missed opportunity not to do some type of the shirt billowing around. Or like get a stagehand behind right, him, like just to right, keep the hands right. and rustle around in the exactly. back. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. However, when I watched it the second time, yeah. it made me appreciate that much more because some, and I kind of picked up on this on some of the other shorts too. Sometimes what was being said was happening and other times they just kind of let it 
let it play out and they just would have the people stand there. And that, that was one of the instances where nothing was happening with Ray Fine's shirt as the rat catcher, but he just kind of stood there and it yeah. was kind of like menacing and they just let it, just let the scene continue. And I thought in a way that was effective by not trying to mimic everything. Yeah. So it's just interesting take. I, I, I'm going to echo again that I think, uh, you know, to me, the swan and the rat catcher, those two specifically that we just talked about mm-hmm. are the ones where you can just listen to this and get 95% or more of the story and everything. Even the rat cat, the rat man's performance, a lot of it's vocal. So oh, it's sure. like, sure. Yeah. Visually he's an interesting looking guy on screen too, but it's like this one in particular is like, no, you could just really listen to it. And it's a good story told really well or interesting story told really well. So I like that as well. Um, yeah, I've got some thoughts about this whole experiment sure. that we'll oh, get sure. to at the end for sure. But um, that's the rat catcher. Um, let's move on to the fourth one. Fourth one's called Poison. This one uh, features Benedict Cumberbatch as uh, Harry. Uh, and Harry is uh, has a poisonous snake that has slithered onto his stomach while he is laying in his bed. So now his associate and a doctor are racing to try to save him. It's a very poisonous snake that they're concerned will Which bite I'd him. Never, I'd never heard of the a crike. crike. Yeah. It's I'd never like, heard of that kind of snake. But. It looked like a little coral snake, like the, the image that we saw at one point. Sure. And I don't know where this is supposed to be taking place, like if there's a, you know, the creatures there are a little bit more poison, or if it's a little made up. I don't know. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, this is a short one as well, like 17 minutes long. Chris, this is the last one of the four of the sequence. Um, we also have Dev Patel here as uh, Woods, his associate, and we have Ben Kingsley as the doctor. Those are the three main characters we, we have here. Um, what was your thoughts on this one? Benedict Cumberbatch, because of his assignment, um, he is made to lay in a bed. He cannot move anything other than his mouth and his eyes. Um, like try not to even move his chin as he talks. It's literally like his, just his mouth and they show him, you know, cause he's got a snake on him and they show him like profusely sweating. Like, I think that has to be the most an actor has ever done with the least. <laughs> and it, you know, it, it's comedic, but yet you can feel the tension, the way he cuts oh, yeah. his eyes back and forth. So that, you know, I just thought that was, that was, it was fun to watch. You know, I, I think this was the funniest short Okay. And it was also the one I'm trying to think of how best to describe it where the swan and the rat catcher could have easily have been actually true stage performances on a theater stage. Hmm. This one is a little more, a bit more theatrical because you're dealing with a lot more camera angles and close ups and people in a bed I see. And moving locations around and all that. And it's a very tight little story plot too. I mean, it pretty much, it clearly has a beginning end and, 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 I I like this short immensely. I thought this was just enough visual style to it to keep it engaging. This is not one that works as a just audio, just going to listen to it. I think because you can't see Benedict come right. No, face. you've got to see his face, <laughs> and you've got to see the situation that we're dealing with. It's a very visual situation that they're working with. Um, but I really did enjoy this. I thought this was a lot of fun, um, and it ends. Um, you could argue it ends a little abruptly, but I like the ending. I mean, I think obviously the short has something to say. Uh, the story has something to say. Um, 
And it, yeah, with, but with, I, it, it just it worked. it worked. See, the one that ended abrupt, abrupt for me was the swan. swan. This one I didn't feel like did, but I do feel like I am missing a little um, background social commentary. Like I think maybe this takes place in like India, maybe because of like the type of trees and mm-hmm. kind of the situation. But um, I just feel like I'm missing a little bit of like, um, and I guess maybe because I'm thinking also like a cast type system of how well, different there is people. A, yeah. There is a little bit of you, you, social commentary. Well, and there's some commentary too about his associate woods and a little bit of his background, military background and how that relates to the story, how the difference between the doctor and the Harry character, what, what is their makeup? What is their different? You're right. There's a and little I, bit of that. So that I feel like I mean, they, they say assume. something, but there again, I guess yeah. that's kind of good in a way. They're not beating you over the head with it, but still I, kind of felt like they make some statements at the end. You're like, okay, so you're meaning this. And so I was a little, little unclear, but yeah, it was, it maybe I could see how you could say it ended a little abruptly. Just a bit. I I think uh, maybe I don't want to say unsatisfying ending. It's just a, it ends on a slightly different note than maybe what you were kind of being led to believe the film, the short story was going to be. I see. And I do agree. I think maybe a, another scene or so or line or a couple lines about, the nature of their environment and their relationships as individuals might've helped build the story up by the end. But I had the most fun watching this one. I, I just think it just worked. So uh, okay. that's a uh, poison. I thought was, uh, was really, was really good. Uh, again, the Dev Patel still not my favorite performance here. Alan hating on Dev. No, I'm not hating. I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> when I'm comparing him against Cumberbatch and fines and Kingsley, I'm like, uh, uh, Patel, I just don't feel like I didn't feel like could quite carry it as well. So that's my only my only drawback, hmm. my only criticism at any of these four films at this point is just that. Hmm. So, so moving on to now that we've discussed all four, what would you say your ranking would be for them? Um, my ranking. So I'm going to say Hen- the Wonderful World of Henry Sugars first. Okay, just because I did really get engaged in that story. I think obviously it was the most Wes Anderson ish of all four visually uh, having a lot more room to play with. There was obviously a lot more production work put into the film. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch was great. So I think he, he, he made that work. Uh, that was my favorite just because okay. I think it had the most going for it. And it was the most engrossing to me. Uh, might've been because of the longest might've been because I felt like they put more money and time and production <laughs> sure. into it. Sure. But it did work for me. Okay. Um, you want me to go on through my list and then yeah, you do yeah, yours? I mean, yeah, it's just so, so Poison yeah, sure. was number two for me. Okay. Just because I did have the most fun with that. I agree. I could watch Benedict Cumberbatch's face <laughs> trying to give directions to his associate or reprimand his associate without moving his face. I could just watch that all day long. So that was fun. Poison, I thought, was a really just fun little short. Uh, I liked it better than the other two I'm going to mention only because I felt like it just had – it had a little more visual storytelling to it, which I liked. And I was kind of looking for at that point beyond that. I, I say the Swan is number three for me, the Swan and the Red catcher. Again, I liked the stripped down version of these two films. I liked how simple they were, that they were fo- more focused on the narration and the storytelling than they were everything else going on around it in the scene. The Swan. I just, I really like Rupert friends narration. I like the story in general. Um, it had just a little bit more going for me. The Rat Catcher, again, I liked. It's just it was my the four is my least, and it's but it was mainly buoyed by 
uh, Ray Fiennes' performance there. So sure, that was that was my four. Where do, where do you stand on? Those? So definitely, Henry Sugar okay. is up at the top. And I would say Ratcatcher is at the bottom. Okay. So the thing I struggle with is um, the Swan, especially the first time through the Swan. Just really, I don't know. I think because it was expectations coming off Henry Sugar, mm-hmm. and so it just seemed kind of slight to me, and I didn't really get in groove with uh, Rupert Friend's narration. But I think, and then you know, Poison Like. So I, th- I think I'm going to end up saying it's the same order. Okay. But I think Poison and uh, the Swan are a lot closer mm-hmm. after a second run through, okay. um, because of I, I appreciate the Swan, the Swan better, and I think you know, <laughs> I think a lot of it also has to do. I don't know, maybe I'm just the f- frame of mind I'm in right now, but Henry Sugar is an uplifting kind of positive tone. Um, Poison, I mean, it doesn't end on a you know, it doesn't. It's not dark. Let's just leave it's it. Not, there. It's not dark. It's it not has dark. a little more critical things to say, but yeah, it doesn't end on a dark note. But Ratcatcher and Swan, you know, because of the, you know, they, they have a tone and it, you know, especially the Swan is, I feel like pretty, I think that was the other thing. The first time through, I was like, Whoa, yeah. that's really jarring. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's tough to me to say for me to say, which I like better poison or Swan. I think because I'm kind of a softy, I'll go ahead and say, I like poison better. So yeah. I guess my ranking ends up being the same as yours. Okay. Yeah. With Good. not saying that either of them are bad. And I'll no. say if, I will say, too, because you kind of alluded to I was giving you a hard time because I like French Dispatch and you weren't as high on it. Um, but you're not saying it's like terrible, like garbage or anything. No. Um, I feel like Henry Sugar is the best thing Wes Anderson's ever made. Wow. Yep. Now, there again, I'm not saying throw all his other stuff in the garbage. No, yeah, sure. But, but something still. about, even though I like French Dispatch, something about condensing it down and I never felt like it was too much, like too yep. much stuff was flying See, by exactly. me or Cumberbatch was talking too fast that I couldn't get what was going on. The imagery and everything in the scenes, the way they would, it was like you were watching a play because they would have like different scene mm-hmm. or scenery fly up and down. Like you yep. were using a fly rail in a, a typical theater and something <laughs> the first time through, I didn't see what they were doing. And I was like, Oh wow. That's how they did that quote unquote special effect without any CGI. The second time I watched it through, I was aware of it, but that only increased my enjoyment. And I'll say it's the effect of levitating. Oh, right. Yeah. And they, you, but they use it. And it's so like, yeah. that is all. And it's like, okay, Wes, hats off to you, sir. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like, I could, you know, I, I can, I could fake that with CGI and it would be like, you'd sure. see somebody levitate. He's like, nope, I'm going to do this just because I think it'll be cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's right. It was. So yeah. I, I really think this is Wes Anderson distilled at his best. I think if you don't like Henry sugar, then you probably don't like anything Wes Anderson has done because I really think it's I'm with you on at that. his peak game. I, uh, that's why I, st- I tell you, I think something about the fact that it was a, the length, the focus on the story, but allowing Wes Anderson to use his own inventive style to help accentuate the story. Got you. It's a perfect formula. That's why I said at the beginning, I do think this is a perfect Wes Anderson formula. And yet, I, I wonder going back to like the French dispatch, if you were to take those stories and separate them out, break them out and let them stand on their own and let them be their own thing. If I were to watch that, that in that format, if I would feel like they were better hmm. because I think there's just something to that. I'm curious about the, the, the choice 
to release these as four completely separate films, meaning four thumbnails on Netflix. You got to go find them. Sure. Even when I had to go look them up last night and like I was, I knew I was watching them. I'm like, okay, I found like in the trending now, like one of them was up there, but not the other three. I'm like, all right, right. I go find the other three and search for it. And they the, don't pop when you finish. Usually Netflix no. will pop up something that's similar. Right. Like, Hey, you want to watch this? They didn't do that either. No. At least for me, you really have so. to be intentionally looking for these, right? The decision to make them four separate film releases versus taking it as one and saying, okay, Buster scrugging, Buster yeah. scrugging. Well, yeah. And even, I mean, whether it even needed bookends or not, just sure. say, all right, here's the first film. Henry, Henry Sugar. All right, that's done. Now here's the second film, you know. Um, but the, again, it, I almost I almost wonder if that kind of putting it into one singular piece kind of forces you to think, how are they connected? And how, what's the overall arc of things or whatever? I like the fact that it's all four. It's like, nope, they are their own thing. The only connective tissue is the writer of the original piece right. and Ray Fiennes as the stand in for that author and kind of the overall narrator, but there's no other connective tissue. I mean, you could watch these independently and that's it. So I I like that. I Um, think something to the, not to say Wes Anderson can't write original screenplays because obviously can, he does a really good job with that, but something about him adapting, I think he's found like his, his perfect, like spirit guide or whatever, as far as like, you know, influence because fantastic Mr. Fox just, Great. And it's like him to, and like Isle of Dogs, still good, but something about him using Dahl's words and phrases yep. and him doing that here, it's just like they were made, he was they made were, to translate his stuff to the screen. His, this type of work would not work with just any short story by any other author. I mean, I, you know, you can't take a Stephen King short story <laughs> and turn it into this kind of sure. piece and make it work. Although I wouldn't mind seeing Wes Anderson like do that. It. But I mean, <laughs> right. I, I think no, I this, this more theatrical stage performance version, but yet with a lot of creative elements floating around it, it just, it works for, for dolls work for sure. Sure. Um, I, I'm going to, I'm going to go on a limb here and say, I would be perfectly happy and satisfied if Wes Anderson announced tomorrow that from here on out, I am just taking short stories mm. written by either a doll or other similar art authors, or maybe my own short stories and putting out these kind of short films hmm. that are more of this, because I have something about, you're right, the Henry sugar, the format, the link, the stuff, it just worked. And I actually think that I'm going to be as bold to say that, <laughs> If this were marketed more effectively and more people could see these films and, and, and connect with them, I think it could actually start to get people thinking more about short films mm. and how effective they can be. Economy and storytelling. And not thinking about every movie having to be, you know, a hundred plus minutes. Right. Because again, I'll, I'm going to watch Henry Sugar again. That was great. It's 30 minutes. Like, Bring it to me. If you want to knock out a Henry Sugar every six months that I get to see <laughs> online, go for it. I am happy with that. I think, yeah, I I, that, I agree. If it was marketed differently, it could kind of cause a shift in how some people think about short films and the exposure they get. Um, I I wonder how, when the Academy Awards rolls around, which it's going to yeah. be rolling around, yeah, we have a sh- four different shorts by Wes Anderson. We have a short by Pedro Almodovar, um, that's, I can't remember the name of it. Um, um but oh has, yes, uh, as, uh, what's his face? Something Ethan Hall, life, uh, um, strangers or no, oh I can't gosh. remember. But it's a cowboy film. It stars Ethan Hawke. Hold on. I'll, uh, and, um, 
Pedro Pascal. Yeah. And so I would hate to be a maker of short films that is not a Pedro Almodovar or a strange Western. way of life, strange way of life. Yeah. And be, you know, hoping that this year I would get noticed for my work in the short film category <laughs> because I mean, you've got Almodovar and you've got Wes Anderson. It's like, dude, <laughs> could this be a year where short films really start to kind of finally take off? Cause I mean, you and I are big fans of the format. I sure. love short oh, films. Yeah, so I, do I. Yeah. I wish more people saw them as work that they sought out and really like, you know, got excited when, when new films were released. Sure. But you're right. When you got Wes Anderson and you got Almodovar, both with high profile short film collections or pieces they put out. I mean, how amazing would it be to see the nominations for short films be, you know, two or three directors we've never heard of that have made some really great short films. And then you've got Wes Anderson dropped in as one and you got Almodovar as one. I'm like, that could be, that could really start to escalate how people see short. I mean, I just feel like, how could you not? I mean that with those two guys and I get, and I don't know, I think we, I don't know if we used it as a news item a couple of shows ago, but they've stated, the Academy has stated something like starting in 2025, I think you have to have something more than like a festival run. It has to be released in a theater, like an expanded theater. And it but can't is that be a for, limited. Does that apply to shorts? I don't know. I just see. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I've never seen short films. Hardly oh, that's ever. true. So for features, theatrically distributed. For shorts. I, I'd be hard to say mm. that that's a requirement for short films because what theaters are going to program a singular uh, short film? I don't know. You know, for things anyway. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Interesting. I, I think this was an interesting experiment. I'll admit when I heard it was coming right on the heels of asteroid city, mm. I'm like, okay, so is this going to be kind of like some leftover projects that just, you know, just to kind of do it. And I'm like, I could argue that Poison, the Swan, the Rat Catcher, yeah, were simple, easy things. Hey, I, I want to put this together. It would not take very long to do. It's very easy to put together. Henry Sugar, though, that was a production. So I think <laughs> yeah. collectively, there was a, this was a was a very a very big uh, piece of work here. So. I was curious and had done just a tiny bit of research that apparently he'd been trying to d- adapt. I don't know about all four of them, but I think specifically Henry Sugar for like over 10 years. Wow. And he'd gotten the the blessing or whatever from the Roald Dahl family. So I guess may, or maybe bought the rights or whatever. So he he's, they said, okay, you can do that. And then Netflix bought, I guess, everything from the the Dahl family or the Dahl estate. So then basically he was going to have to release it on Netflix because either that or just say, I'm not going to do it, you know, but he had been, been working on it for so long that that's how it came out. But yet still as closing, I remember about your question. I'm curious, was it a Netflix decision to say four at a time instead Mm -hmm. of Buster Scruggsing it? Or was it a Wes Anderson thing to say, nope. I want these to stand alone. I'm curious yeah, what the thinking too. was there. I am too. Yeah. And yeah, if it w- honestly, if it was on some other platform other than Netflix, I think the four standalone individual pieces films would work a little better, but Netflix is just so horrible <laughs> at trying to find things. <laughs> and trying to, and uh, I've heard people complain about it. I've never really experienced it myself except for this. Yeah. And I was just like, wow, yeah. This is astonishingly yeah, bad. It's it's tough. So, yeah. Well, that is the four films that Wes Anderson has released on Netflix, all short films, all based on the works of Roald Dahl. Um, I then I think I, I love what he did with this whole, this whole body of work, this whole piece. Um, you know, I think some pieces worked better than others, but overall I still think it was a, e- even the pieces that didn't work as well for me. I mean, that's the beauty of short film. It was, 
really they were only like 12 or 13 minutes because uh, Netflix puts on like several minutes of their own credits at the end of every film and uh, also, along with the film credits. So, okay. Also know. something I'll mention too, is it the power, which makes me think Wes Anderson has his way because he's like, nope, you're going to release these as four separate. And I don't recall ever seeing a next Netflix film that had the big in logo with the dome had the logo did not have the noise. Oh, interesting. On any of the films. So it was like you saw the logo, but it was all silent. And then you have his logo, the Indian paintbrush, also silent. And didn't you, want the, the dong. Right. And the, I think that's Netflix, like, he's like, and he's like, I will not have it. Because yeah. <laughs> it was like, silent, okay. even with his Indian. Uh, yeah, Indian paintbrush. Indian paintbrush was a silent uh, production logo that came up as well. Yeah. Interesting. Well, so well. it's like, that's the power of Wes Anderson. Yeah, I guess so. All right. Well, they are all available on Netflix. If you have a Netflix subscription, you can watch any or all four of these films right now. Um, if you can find them, just you know, do a little searching. <laughs> right. I, I, honestly, you do a search for Wes Anderson and you'll find them easier. That's probably the best way to do it. But sure. they're somewhere in that mix of new releases if you look around. Okay, Chris. So let's take a quick break. And okay. when we come back, I know we've got some recommendations of films to make. You're listening to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV, and we'll be back in just a moment. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit TheJacksonCreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the TheMesh.TV podcast network. So as we mentioned, we had our review of the four short films by Wes Anderson that are available on Netflix in the first half of the show. Here in the latter half of the show, we mix it up uh, from time to time. Sometimes we cover some news items. Sometimes we do uh, recommendations. Sometimes we talk about some trailers of films coming out. I think we made a game time decision, Chris. You are changing. You are not going to do a recommendation. Correct. You are going to tease us with a trailer. Is that right? <laughs> yes. Well, let's do that then. So let's. Uh, from time to time, we like to dip in to find out what trailers have been released for films that are going to be coming out soon. Maybe ones of uh, projects we've heard of and we're excited to see the trailer for it. Or sometimes it's a project we know nothing about and the trailer is going to be our first taste our first little morsel of that film. So Chris, I understand you have something you want to share with us on this, uh, this first one. Yes. So, uh, a 24, a studio, which I, you know, really, really like, and they do choose interesting films. Uh, this week they released a trailer for the iron claw, which I knew absolutely nothing about. So, um, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Uh, I don't want to say too much about it before we hear a little bit from the trailer. But uh, yeah, so this is an upcoming film, The Iron Claw. I will say it does star uh, Zac Efron, if that piques your interest, which I'm sure it probably does not. Zac Efron, okay. Yes. All right. <laughs> but, I'm curious now. Sure. So let's hear a little bit from uh, the uh, Iron Claw trailer. Ever since I was a child, people said my family was cursed. Mom tried to protect us with God. Pop tried to protect us with wrestling. He said if we were the toughest, the strongest, nothing had ever hurt us. I believed him. We all did. Okay, so Chris just shared the trailer for The Iron Claw. That's the name of it. A24 yes. film coming out. Zach Efron. And then we have also the actor from the TV show The Bear. What is his name? 
Okay, it's three names, Jeremy and then White, but I'm not sure about what the middle name is. Okay, we're going to go with Jeremy White. Okay. But there is Sorry, a middle everybody, name. Everybody is it Allen? Jeremy, Jeremy Allen? Jeremy Allen White. That's, everybody listening probably knows who we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Um, Lead actor from the, from the bear. Yeah. Um, yeah, that looks great. So A20, <laughs> A24 is releasing a based on a true story film about wrestling December 22nd. Now, if you told me based on a true story about wrestling released December 22nd, I'd be like, okay. Uh, now I guess if I'd done my job as like a teasing thing, I should have set that up and be like, okay, Alan, how excited are you? Yeah. A wrestling movie based on a true story coming out December 22nd. You'd be like, no. <laughs> well, it depends. However, I would have asked the question who's making who's it in or it. who's distributing it. So that would be the question. So who is the director of this? I don't know. Okay. It's not a, not a known director. Uh, or not I, I, they did not tout it heavily in the trailer. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, we could take a look here for a second, but I'm just really, I'm really curious because Zac Efron playing this role and Jeremy Allen white playing the role to his brothers. And um, it's just, I don't know. Something about it makes me think, okay, this is going to be worthwhile. It's an extremely well done trailer. Yeah, the trailer's uh, the trailer's great. So this is uh, director is uh, Sean Durkin, oh. who did Martha Marcy May Marlene. Okay, yeah. so okay. that was uh, that was his. Wow, uh, that was his only other feature film. He did okay. that in two thousand eleven. I recognize the name, and I yeah, that is a very interesting film. Mm-hmm. So it's it's interesting too because the way the trailer makes you think is okay based on a true story, but it's kind of like a true version of whiplash except it's for wrestling because it's a father being very controlling of his three sons. And you're like, okay. And one bit of trepidation I have is Mm -hmm. it does look like they do span a good amount of time. So you're like, okay, maybe this is telling me too much. It would have just been good to do an instance. But I got to say, still, yeah. I my, am interested. My, my concern is I, I, I hope the trailer didn't give away too much too of much. the story. There I are some see. elements there I wish. I'm like, oh, don't, don't, don't even tease at that. Don't even hint at that. I don't, I don't like that in the trailer. But um, Got you. Visually, I'll tell you what was interesting to me is, I mean, I don't know what it is, but the, the cinematography when you're shooting these wrestlers mm-hmm. in the ring – uh, the shots in the ring look so much like what we saw in The Wrestler, the mm-hmm. actual Aronofsky uh, film, Aronofsky film with Mickey Rourke. You know, it's almost like it's a little bit of a being positioned as a early story of somebody that eventually became the character in The Wrestler. But it's a, it's just interesting how the shots and the colors and the, the lighting all is very similar to what we saw in, in that film as well. Now, I'm, uh, I'm very excited, Chris. Okay. I had actually read about this film. I had not okay. seen the trailer, but okay. I had read about it once I saw uh, Jeremy Allen White in it. I'm like, oh, I did read about this. Do you know, I'm not familiar with wrestling. <laughs> um, do you know which wrestling thing it's the based on true story supposedly about? Okay. No, I, I am I am also equally unversed in okay. the wrestling world. So I, do I mean, I know that. a couple of names. It sounds like at one point they show a character that looks like, I think it's Ric Flair or somebody like that that has on this like, extravagant robe and everything. So I don't know if that's, so it says this is the true story of the inseparable Von Erich brothers. Okay. Again, I've never heard of me neither. Supposedly they were very, uh, prominent in the early 1980s. Okay. So yeah. Okay. So in the early days of wrestling, this is like pre, like I'll throw out some names here. Yeah. Hulk Hogan, pre, Hulk Hogan. Okay, pre, gotcha. pre when things got maybe a little more theatrical gotcha. with, the, with the wrestling, uh, possibly. Okay. Not, I think this looks really good, man. <laughs> I'm honestly excited for it okay. now. So great. Thank you for sharing that trailer. Um, very, very anxious to see that. 
Um, well, Chris, I'm going to stick with the recommendations because I do have recommendations to give. I don't have a new trailer to share. Okay. Um, but I am going to recommend a couple films for people that I was very happy to catch back up with on both fronts. Here being October, my wife and I kind of have a thing where once October one hits, it's like, okay, we're watching, we're watching a horror movie, scary movies, whatever it may be. She's much more of a fan of more classic horror films, older films. I am much more in the last 20, 30 years of, uh, of films I, I look to and appreciate. So okay. we kind of, we meet in the middle somewhere. And one of in my recommendation of a film or first recommendation I'm giving is one that does kind of meet right in the middle. This is a film from 1968. It is Rosemary's baby. You've seen Rosemary's baby, right? I have. Okay. Yes. Um, it's one where, you know, her, her enjoyment of these films ends about in the 1960s, maybe close to 70. <laughs> sure. Mine starts in about the 70s. I'm like, oh, 68. This is like right in the middle. Perfect overlap. This is perfect. We are right in the at, at the uh, crux of our uh, enjoyment of horror movies. And look, Rosemary's Baby, there's a lot of personal uh, in, uh, personality-driven issues behind this film. You know, is directed by Roman Polanski, which, mm-hmm. you know, Roman Polanski has had his own share of issues over the years yeah. and challenges and, 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 you know, however you want to kind of perceive those issues. I know different people have different frame of mind about him as a, as a, as a director or uh, creator, but for what it's worth, it's Roman Polanski directing. And then you also have Mia Farrow as the lead actress, of course, unfortunately known way too much now for the drama with, uh, Woody with uh, Woody Allen yeah. than, than her actual art, acting work. Sure. So you kind of have to push all that aside and be like, nope, I just want to kind of focus on the film itself. Mm-hmm. That being said, Mia Farrow is very, very, very good in this movie. Uh, John Cassavetes, also very good as her husband, guy in this film as well. So the story of, of, of uh, Rosemary's Baby is there's a young couple. They are trying to have a baby. They're moving into this very old apartment building in New York City. They find themselves surrounded by some very interesting neighbors who start to kind of collect around them. And over time, you start to get the feeling of she becomes pregnant uh, through a very um, horrific scene uh, in the film. And then that builds into this tension of, of what's going to happen when the baby is born and what is the role of these other people around her, uh, these neighbors. Um Everybody who's ever heard of the film knows it has to do with giving birth to the devil's child. And yeah, I'm just going to leave it at that. Sure. Um, part of the, I don't want to say fun of the movie, but part of the enjoyment is just trying to really understand what is happening. It is a plot device in this film that nowadays, I think we've seen a lot more films that kind of have the same idea of people manipulating someone or trying to, um, uh, um, people with a certain belief structure, mm-hmm you know, coming together and trying to force someone to do or have something that that's a little more common. Even the film I'm going to recommend a little bit has a lot to do with that as well. Back in 68 though, I imagine it's a fairly, it was a fairly novel thing to show in film. So I, I got to imagine it was a pretty surprising film for people to walk into the theater and see and, uh, and go through what I love about this is a horror film without really dipping heavy into the horror field. It's Got gotten maybe one, I mean, one scene in particular that I would say, yes, that is, that is a horror scene. It is the scene where she actually does become pregnant. It's 
terrible to watch. It's very, very rough to watch. The rest of the film, not really so much, is all a sense of building of dread mm-hmm. and tension and anxiety that Rosemary is going through. Sure. But to me, that's the kind of horror film I, I really like. So Rosemary's Baby, I think, is great. I think it's a really excellent film to watch in this season. Um, if you can just kind of get past all the personality issues with some of the people involved in making it, you know, which is tough for some people. I get it. You know, sure. uh, I'm sure as many people that don't want to support Roman Polanski or any of his work. I, I try to look at it as like, there's a multitude of people who worked on this project and I want to give them all due respect for seeing the film. Even if the one person behind the camera maybe has some issues that I don't agree with or, or um, choices these made that I don't agree with. So that being said, Rosemary's baby, I think is a, is a, is a great watch and a good, a good Halloween movie that, um, yeah, it, it doesn't lean heavy into gore and, and jump scares and violence. It's, it's really about the dread and tension and anxiety throughout the film. Although the one scene in particular is, is a tough watch. It's sure. a very tough watch. Um, that leads me to, I'm going to give a twofer this month just because it is Halloween season and sure. We've been catching up on a lot of horror films. The other one for me that I mentioned is a little bit of a distant cousin in a way to <laughs> Rosemary's Baby. Okay. It's one that you and I reviewed, uh, I think, years ago. Did we review it? Or maybe it was before we started the podcast. It would have been 2018. Oh, yeah, definitely. It was within the podcast yeah, so range. I, yeah, I think. We did review it. I think we reviewed it. Yeah, we yeah. did review it. And it is uh, by Ari Oster who we know more recently from having done Midsommar and Bo is Afraid, but his first film was a film called Hereditary. Um, Hereditary 2018, it's starring uh, Tony Collette, uh, Gabriel Byrne, and Alex Wolfe. Um, again, I'm not going to go too much into the plot other than just to say that a family that is in the process of grieving a grandmother who just passed away are being haunted by tragic and disturbing occurrences. And I will say there is enough of a similarity with Rosemary's baby by the end of the film. You know, I'll leave it to people to watch to kind of see the connections there. But this is a film. I think uh, even though I want to say Ari Oster might be slightly diminishing returns since this first movie, hmm. this was, it's a masterful horror film in my mind because it has just the right moments of shock and disturbing moments but also this impending dread and tension, just like Rosemary's baby. Just, you just don't know where it's going, but you know, it's going somewhere bad. (laughs) And that's, that's the whole thing. (laughs) I will call out the film and say that it's not big on jump scares. It's not big on, you know, um, trying to just shock you into fear. It's more of the things not always being said or visibly seen in particular, Mm. there's a use of darkness and images and things that you see in that darkness are more upsetting than <laughs> anything else in the film. Um, this is also a very disturbing film. I'll just go and caution people. There are some very upsetting moments, especially involving younger people in the film that can be tough to watch. And so I'm just giving that fair warning. Yeah. But uh, if you get into this, it is a true horror film. Uh, disturbing elements, uh, upsetting moments, but... Boy, uh, it, it gives you the creeps all the way through. And uh, I had the chance to watch this again with my, my family just uh, recently. And uh, 
Nice family evening. Oh, no, it's perfect. It's a, it's a warm family get together. You know, you also Alan's know. family has children that are all older. Yeah, yeah. All of our children are, yes. are grown adults at this yeah. point, pretty much. So, uh, yeah. But uh, boy, it was a it was a it was a fun watch. So, Hereditary by Ari Aster, uh, 2018. It is available on HBO Max. I know for streaming for free there. Well, if you have a subscription. Sure. Or you can just rent it on video on demand as well. Rosemary's Baby, we saw on AMC. I okay. think AMC Network had it running and able to see. I'm sure it plays on a lot of cable streaming channels. If you do a search for it and find it, you could probably catch it. But also it's available video on demand as well. Sure. All right. So that's my recommendations for the October Halloween month. Maybe next time we get together right before Halloween, Chris, you might have a, uh, a more of a, a Halloween recommendation sure. for us as well to kind of spread it out. Absolutely. We'll do that. Good. All right, Chris. Well, that is what we've got for today's episode. Again, our reviews of the Wes Anderson short film collection based on the works of Royal Dahl. And then we also had our uh, trailer for the Iron Claw coming. When was Iron Claw coming out? December 22nd. Oh, that's right. You said that. Okay. Not too long. Wait there. Yeah. And it's going to theaters. I'll take it. I believe so. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then we had my recommendations of Rosemary's Baby and Hereditary for the upcoming Halloween season. All right, Chris, if anybody wants to follow up with us on anything we talked about or give their own impressions or questions, how do they reach out to us? You can send an email to info at footcandle.org. You can follow us on Twitter at Foot Candle Film, Facebook, Foot Candle Film Society, Instagram and threads, Foot Candle Film. Alan and I are also on Letterboxd where we try to track what we're seeing and leave quick takes. Do us a favor. If you like the show, give us a star rating, write a review, share with friends or whatever service you receive your favorite podcast on to help us reach new listeners. We'd appreciate it. All right. Well, thanks everybody so much for listening and, or, and uh, um, supporting the Foot Candle Film Society and our festival this past few weeks. And we'll look forward to talking to you next time we get together for a podcast recording. Thanks a lot. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.